Welcome to episode 123 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded July 11th, 2021. My name is Ian, I live on Vancouver Island, I'm a student of preparedness, target shooter, and my farm's designated mediocre handyman. I'm Alan, I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd with absolute confidence in Ian's abilities. I am Jason, I'm an outdoor enthusiast and a hunter's head instructor and Washington State licensed trapper. Right on. Uh, want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air? You can buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the tactical Velcro patch, very tactical, at uh, www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. If you are enjoying the show, please take a few minutes, like us on Facebook, and submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good, bad, and even if there's just a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, I couldn't think of a good one for trapping, but we have some captive content for you this episode. Oi. Oi. All right. We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news, and then we're going to let you know what we did for preparedness this week, and then we're going to get on to the main topic, which is uh, trapping, and it's many uses in everyday life, preparedness, and uh, maybe some other stuff. We'll talk about that later. News time. Trapping for, trapping for fun and profit. Uh, I put one article in here today, uh, just kind of a developing story. Um in Havana, Cuban citizens are protesting the Communist Party, chanting freedom, which is apparently an anti-government slogan, while being beaten and pepper sprayed. The communist leader is calling for those loyal to con- to confront protesters directly. Um, shockingly, communism is not working once again. It's uh, <laughs> Well, clearly this wasn't real communism. It's not real know. communism because otherwise everyone would be happy or everyone would already be dead. Um, there, there are a lot of things going on there, and I do genuinely feel bad for the Cuban people where their, their primary source of, uh, of domestic production is tourism, which hasn't existed for the last darn near two years. Um, but they've got... Uh, They've got some, some definite challenges to overcome here. And, um, of course, the communist leader is, uh, I forget his name, Diaz something or other. Uh, he's, uh, he's blaming the U.S. for it. And I find that really interesting considering the U.S. hasn't done business with Cuba since, what, 1959 or something. Um, but all of a sudden, it's their fault. Well, hold on. Isn't, isn't Raul Castro, like, the brother in charge right now? Um, he was... But the this article that I was that I um, this article that I got from uh, Reuters was saying that his name the communist the president Miguel Diaz Canel is his name. Um, he he is the president of the country and apparently also heads the communist party. I had no idea. There you go. Neither did I. That's how little I care about. <laughs> Cuba in general, yeah. um, which is too I, bad. Like, I mean, again, I, I do genuinely feel bad for the people. Like it's a, it's a beautiful country and beautiful people. I've had a great time every time I've been there. Um, some of the most welcoming and wonderful people that, that you could ever meet, and they're they're in a really tough situation where they've they've got nowhere to go, and it's been so many generations that they they don't really wouldn't really know what to do without. Um, without significant interference from another government. So hopefully, hopefully this goes well for them and we defeat communism much closer to home than we are elsewhere in the world and um, make the bad commies go away. Yeah, uh, especially when they're calling for one one half of the country to confront the other. That's, that's kind of a crappy way to go. But That is. It just it tells me that they've kind of lost control and that a, 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 revolution, is, uh, a revolution is on the horizon. I hope so anyways. Yeah, I really do. 
Uh, well, I've got one. It's uh, Albertans are asked to conserve power and not charge their electric cars. I'm I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to like have a little you know gleeful expression on this one. I think you know, a little Schadenfreude because the um, yeah, it's amazing how the energy sector, which has been beaten to death here, you know how dirty dirty horrible oil is not the way to go, and electricity is the new future, and everything else. Made anything go slightly wrong. Yeah, they have no no grid to support anything. And I, I find it really interesting that that charging their cars is the is the thing that they're they're going after because like we have an electric car in the family it lives in the driveway when it's you know it comes home in the driveway and um, like it 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 sucks literally pennies a month worth of fuel like, or worth of electricity like it doesn't it doesn't take a huge draw um, of all the things that are out there that they could be conserving electric cars probably like it's probably pretty low on the list of of problems. Well, I'm old enough to remember, like I was telling you before the show there, about how they were telling that the grid is fragile and limited in its capacity. So we had to go from incandescents to compact fluorescents, then to LEDs in order to preserve the grid for the burgeoning population and all this other stuff. Yep, I remember that. And, and then all of a sudden they turned right around and said, but we've got plenty of spare capacity to charge everybody to have, uh, for everybody to have an electric car, even in win winter in Alberta. And now all of a sudden they're like, well, it's, it's hot out and, you know, that's it, boys. We're sorry, we're done. I just... I can't even. Yes. <laughs> and again, like, you know, like between the battery efficiency in the wintertime and the, um, you know, limited grid and the, you know, the realities of the, all this, it's just, it doesn't actually save anything. And uh, especially when they got energy right there, it just makes me mad. But <laughs> anyway. Well, tell us how you really feel. Uh, uh, last one, uh, evacuation order. Uh, almost no notice, of course, evacuation order issued for the residents of Sun Peaks, which is a ski hill near Kamloops, BC, which is right near Lytton, BC. Um, funnily enough, the mountain also used to be called Todd Mountain, which was German for death. Fun fun fact. Anyways, but the, old, the old ski hill was called Todd Mountain. And uh, yeah, so all these people had like pretty much zero notice to evacuate, and they've got 123 or 132 houses ready to go up in flames. Uh, people just pretty much had to enough time to grab a bug out bag and leave. So. Well, best wishes for all of them. It's a terrible situation to be in. Yeah. No yeah. Way. Harsh. Uh, but again, you know, having like at least a, a bag full of like credit cards and spare undies would help. It doesn't have to be a tactical bug out bag. Just a, just a reality one. That would be great too. So anyway I, this is about the only place where i can get in a carbon monoxide detector joke i mean that would be another th great thing to add to your emergency <laughs> evacuation bag but by the time that went off that to be too late the, yeah. the place we waited oh absolutely most. yeah all right well, uh time to move on to what we've done lately for preps uh my entire life right now revolves around building my garage and working out so that's that's what i've been doing uh, i'm ready for concrete of course i'm ready for concrete now and it's going to rain all week uh, which is great for wildfires and great for temperatures, but not so good for progress on my uh, on my uh, my shop here. Um, had a great visit this weekend with my uh, my immediate mag, which is you know mostly just cousins. They're great great folks, and they came down to help me celebrate getting married. So I did that yesterday. That's uh, that's been my week. Cool. Of course, I told you the yeah. dogs would bark. Yeah, anyway. and then they did. <laughs> they did. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, for myself, basically back to uh, brass scrounging uh, after I did a little sales a little while ago there. I've been carrying on with that uh, Patriot Podcast uh, Challenge where they had that Resul uh, Rock March coming up in mid-July here. And so I've been doing my 10K hikes every day. That's uh, six miles for the American folks. Um, 
basically trying to do those every day and, and down, well, not so much get the time down. Actually, I've been lately just trying to like hack through the jungle and trying to make sure the trail's actually workable and usable at a, at a reasonable pace. So uh, I was bringing the clippers with me today, just trying to get the last of the trails cleared out. So anyways, that should be good to go for, I guess it's 11 days from now when they start that. Uh, we have to do like four, six mile marches in a row. So getting excited about that. And then let's see here. What else am I doing? Oh, I had to go do uh, some work. Actually, it was about time, but I went back to work for a couple of days, did my uh, kind of performance review for the year. So that was good. I guess I, I passed because they didn't, you know, fire me on the spot. So that was good. Um, reached out to a couple of listeners, but we're going to talk about that a little later on. But uh, that was good. It had some good interaction with some, uh, some listeners of the show. And then I uh, managed to meet another new neighbor, a uh, new neighbor to the neighborhood, uh, bought some eggs and uh, kind of got to meet each other, which is always good in case of emergencies to get to know your neighbors. So that was pretty much it. It was a pretty slack week, actually. Yeah, I was waiting for the other three pages worth of stuff here. What's, nope. uh, what's going on here, Ian? Slack. I was off uh, I was off island for a few days. So. This, uh, this is going to be the shortest episode we've ever had. <laughs> Could be. Um, so about... Two weeks ago, we had a issue where my neighbor had a uh, um, AC unit uh, brand new plugged into his wall, and uh, the wiring was old. Caught the house on fire on the inside wall. Uh, my wife and my kids were here. I was at work, and they got the knock on the door to evacuate our house because we're only six feet apart from our neighbor. Um, so my wife, my kids uh, got shuffled out of the house. My wife without her shoes and no car keys. Um, so. Our, our new plan for um, the future is to have uh, some bug out bags and some uh, better kit in our cars to for for our kids at least um, to have for stuff like that. That that was kind of an eye opener for us, being able to be shuffled out and going. Okay, we didn't even have five minutes to grab anything. So yeah, that, that's sure. our new that's our new project. <laughs> that sure is a uh, eye opener when that happens, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Awesome. Um, well, I guess it's time to move on to the main topic. So, uh, I guess for myself, why are we talking about this? Well, I mean, as a Canadian, uh, as Canada, as a nation, we started off with uh, fur trading as uh, the birth of our nation. And, you know, obviously it's got a long history there. A lot of people ask about uh, trapping as far as uh, food procurement and maybe a revenue generation and or some people want to try clothing projects with it and everything else. So it's kind of one of those things that we want to talk about but doesn't know exactly how to get started. So we thought we'd get Jason on here to give us a hand. So I guess right off the bat, I should talk about uh, yourself, Jason. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I'm an avid outdoorsman. I have uh, hunt, fish, trap, um, teach hunter's ed, um, anything all outdoors that I possibly can anytime I can. Awesome. Um, so trapping is that your side gig, or is that like a is that your main job, or how do you how would you describe it in your life? Uh, started as a hobby. It's uh, gone more towards me uh, being able to teach. Um, I'm not an instructor for uh, trapping as of yet. It's a goal of mine to become an instructor trapper, um, just to, to to spread the word and be able to teach uh, the the legacy of that passion and that craft. Um, uh, moving forward. It is a craft that has, I think, gone away uh, with a lot of stuff throughout the times. So I just try to carry on the legacy the best I can with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, our, of course, our uh, longest running corporation in Canada is actually the Hudson's Bay Company, which got started the fur trade as well. And it's still known as the Bay. And 
throughout Northern Canada, they still have Northern stores, which are part of the Hudson Bay Company and everything else. They still supply our Northern Outpost kind of towns. So it's definitely a, a integral part of our history too. But um, is that would you describe it as like a viable job nowadays in certain parts of, the, of even the states, like in Alaska or anything else? Or is it more something a guy can only do part time to make things work, or is it is it kind of a an ongoing thing? Uh, depending on on where you're at, uh, I, there are definitely people up in Alaska, uh, Upper Interior, things like that, where that is a big source of their income. Uh, uh, is the fur trapping? They have the ability to to do that. Um, more than kind of, I think the lower 48 down here, we have more, a lot more, uh, I'm going to call it city locked for the most part, Mm -hmm. um, having trap lines and property and things like that becomes kind of, uh, difficult to go through and have those things that are able to have for that. But it is still a viable option for people for income, uh, in select circumstances, um, I think that for the most part, a lot of the, the trapping really comes from, or the furs come from a lot of the f- uh, fur farms that you mm-hmm. can find throughout the uh, lower 48. So I was, I was going to follow that up with, right, if, if it is a source of income, what is, what, is, what is the income, right? Obviously, you mentioned the furs, so the pelts are, um, pelts are sellable. Is there, is there anything else that can generate revenue with, within the trapping Within within trapping, uh, furs, the furs are the pretty much the highest part. Uh, it's what you do with the furs. So, if you you want to just sell your furs to a fur buyer, they go into an auction. Uh, they're graded on like an ABC level, and then they're putting a lot of a hundred or a thousand, and then you get whatever that lot's bought for at the auction. You get that percentage back of what you put into it with your furs. Um, if you want to take your furs and process them and tan them and then turn them into something as a, as just an individual, you have that ability to sell it. Um, I think at a much higher rate or a, ability to uh, sell to a different people for different items, if that makes sense. Hmm. And then of course, as a, as a preparedness tool, you can both keep the fur and the meat from the animal. Um, I imagine it's similar where you are to where we are, where reselling of game meat is not uh, is not permitted. Is that accurate where you are as well? Uh, you can't sell the game meat. Um, so if you harvest an animal, um, whether it be hunting or trapping, if you say, I were to give uh, you guys some of the meat, I'd have to give you a slip of paper that has uh, my wild ID, which is my license number, um, the GMU or game management unit that I harvested that animal in, um, in the date that I harvested it is kind of like a receipt and you have to keep that with the meat until it's all consumed. So there's no selling of it, but I can give and uh, donate that meat. Not a problem. Um, yeah. (laughs) Hmm. Actually, that's, yeah, it's interesting. Cause yeah, same thing with us. We can't traffic in wildlife products per se, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I believe you can obviously like feed somebody with it and everything else. But um, so when you get your furs as a, as a you know a trapper uh, type of thing, you said that there's auctions are one way, and there's also is there bulk fur buyers? Because like back in the day here in Canada, we had North American fur auctions, and they were like this massive corporation. We'd like fill a hangar in Toronto, and these these trappers were coming from all over Canada, kind of lay down their pelts, and they'd kind of go up and down. The, it's almost like an old gun show or something. They kind of auctioned it off that way after they took a look at them. How does it work for you guys? Um. So there's a lot of different ways. Uh, if you know somebody 
obviously, uh, uh, you're in the industry, you go to uh, rendezvous and different meets, uh, find people that buy your furs locally. Um, there's, uh, you can go online, um, trying to look at my notes to the website I've used in the past. It's not coming to my brain right now. Uh, okay. Um, you can just look up. Uh, there's there's multiple places uh, throughout many many states. You may have to ship them uh, out out of state if you don't have anybody close to you. But um, there's there's a lot of fur buyers still in the in the market. Hmm. Yeah, like I kind of wonder with uh, you know certain people going the way they are with furs and everything else if there's still like a big big enough market for it and everything else. But it's uh, it's good that there's still buyers out there. Yeah, a lot of it does get shipped overseas. China is probably one of our biggest uh, consumers of furs from the states. Hmm. Okay, that's good to know. What What do they use it for? Is it just for fashion? Uh, mostly fashion. They uh, obviously any kind of leathers, uh, uh, tan products like that can be used for multiple multiple hmm. uh, uh, avenues with different things. Hmm. Um. Tools required. Uh, what kind of tools we need to get set up if you want to get into trapping? Uh, that's a fun one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all all goes into what you're wanting to trap and your area. So um, the different types of traps out there: uh, body grip traps, the Conaberry series, to spring traps, uh, single doubles, um, live trapping, which are uh, cage traps. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with if you've ever tried to catch a. Uh, a squirrel or a cat are running around your neighborhood or anything, those uh, drop door traps. Those are what I have to use here in Washington where they're uh, only allowed to live trap unless it's a uh, aquatic animal uh, like beaver or, or um, nutri or something, um, yeah. which uh, obviously being in water, they'll, they'll, you know, drown when, when they're trapped. So, um, but yeah, uh, going with the different types of traps, uh, your pack can have a numerous amount of tools from uh, shovels, pickaxes, uh, saws to uh, I, one of my special tools that I carry with me is a, what, what I call my fence my uh, fence post tool. It's a pair of pliers with a hammer and a pick on it and a wire cutter. It's just kind of a like the multi-tool for trapping is what I call it. Um, it's, it's just an all-around good thing to have, lightweight. So. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so you have live traps. Uh, now, do you have to, I guess, put the animal down at some point, uh, like carry a little twenty-two or something with you? Or? Yeah, there's a couple different ways to do it. Um, gassing is probably the most humane. Um, gassing, drowning, and then yeah, most most people will just carry a little small uh, pistol rifle with them. Uh, do your best to not harm the furs. That's that's the main reason why we're all out there trapping is the pelts. So. Um, the you got to take a well placed shot to make sure you're not damaging it. So that that costs you money. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. Like, uh, yeah, that's. Yeah, I think my trapping experience is limited to catching a couple of raccoons in the live traps, and that's about it. So <laughs> that's that's what my life consists of for the most part with those kind of traps. Like I said, here in Washington, uh, we have live trapping laws. Uh, I have to be able to. I have to check my trap within 24 hours of setting it. Uh, and then I have to be able to release it if it's uh, not the proper animal that I'm going for, or if it's undersized, or you know the neighbor's cat. So <laughs> that's fair. How much of a pain in the ass your cat, your neighbor's cat is? <laughs> You'd be surprised what you can catch out there sometimes. I've I've had some weird stuff. I've had uh, um, uh, squirrels, 
uh, caught up on my traps, obviously not something I'm wanting to trap and things like that. But I've, I've heard of people catching the stray cat or a dog that's just out in the woods and they, they go for that bait. So, yep. That's, that's when it's nice to have the live traps. Cause at least then you don't have to go explain something to somebody. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, actually Scott has a quick question for you. Um, how big of an area will your territory cover when you set like a trap line, like on average? Uh, that's, uh, so depending on where you're at, um, if you have a trap line, um, that goes into, uh, obviously, you know, if you run a, a five, 10 mile trap line, that's, that's what you're in cover and as many traps as you want to fit into that, as far as that goes. Um, for me, it comes down to what I can carry. Um, me my son and my nephew, uh, we kind of work our trap lines together. So we pack my truck up and go up into uh, a territory and, we split off because obviously the, my live traps are big cages, so they're very heavy and bulky. So I can carry about four or five of them at a time and then run that line, set them, walk, get back to my truck and carry another set and continue on. Um, mm. But yeah, it all, it all goes into like how heavy your gear is and how much work you want to put into it. That's neat. Uh, Scott was just asking if you have to put any, up any warning signs near the traps for anybody. I guess if it's not a leg hold, I guess it doesn't really matter, but... Uh... Do you have, any, have to put up any signage? Um, so my traps, uh, ha all my cage traps have to have my wild ID, I, which is a metal plaque that sticks on there. So in case, uh, like I said, I'm required to check my trap, uh, my live traps every 24 hours on the mark uh, minimum, um, and then a submerged trap every 72 hours. So if a game warden or official comes by, they can see my trap has been triggered or been set. They can take a note of it. And they'll write down my wild ID. My wild ID is linked to Fish and Wildlife, and it has all my information for me purchasing my tags and uh, my licenses. So they <laughs> they know exactly who I am and where I'm set up. Awesome. Pierre mentions you could pretty much uh, you could send the cat to China if you wanted. The Canadian Prepper Podcast does not condone the illegal trapping or reselling of domestic animals. That's right. Yeah, no matter how tasty. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so licensing, you mentioned you have to have a, a, a wildlife ID number. Um, is there a big process to get licensed as a trapper for you guys? Um, for us, it was uh, you, you kind of like uh, getting licensed for being a hunter. You take a class, um, go through your class. They, they, they educate you on uh, all the ins and outs, the laws. Uh, you go through a test um, to evaluate your your knowledge process. Um, you go through a field skills, which uh, the field skills was basically the uh, uh, processing of a beaver and a raccoon. That's what they had for us, and everybody has to participate. So um, you just you're just not going to just willy nilly go to town on a fur with a razor blade. So you you get really trained on how to process those furs because that's what we're out there for. Um, laws are very, you know, every year our, our uh, hunters regulations come out and that's that has the trapping uh, parameters in it for different uh, GMUs or game management units. Um, through that, you can see what territories are open, what uh, bag limits are for different animals, and you just kind of set your territory for that and go from there. Cool. So yeah, on that note, actually, with the the game management units and everything else, so these trap lines, like as you set up a, a line yourself, um, are they regulated or defined, or like could they be auctioned off and only one person can trap in that area, or how does that? How do you get one set up? 
Uh, depending on your area. Uh, so me, I hunt and fish and trap on public land. So I don't own any rights to any land I use. Um, I, I do my best to stay off uh, well-beaten trails that I know people will travel. So I do my due diligence to say, okay, this is a hiking trail. I want to be far enough away so nothing or no one can be around or, or be, be interfered with uh, by what I'm setting. Um, if you are in a, another territory or you have your own property, uh, you can run your own trap line on your own property, um, obviously with the proper license and buying of your, your, your trapper's tag. Um, if you if you go online, you can search for auctions in different states. Uh, the auctions uh, will be for a season or up towards of X amount of years for ability to access certain lands or just contacting a landowner and uh, asking if you can have a written permission to to hunt and trap on their land. Hmm. Um, so numbers wise, is there like a, a bag limit or, you know, how many animals per season or is it kind of a free for all in certain time periods or how does it work for trapping? Uh, it all depends on the, the years. So um, every year biologists go out and they do a census counts of animals and territories. Um, and they'll tell you in your regulations what is uh, populated in certain areas to, okay, we are cutting back the bag limit on this animal in this territory, but on this one we're going to open it because they're overpopulated. So <clears throat> going through your, your regulations every year is key and just knowing what and where you want to go through and what territory. So you may get a territory um, through an auction that, may be thin on uh, beaver, but, you know, bobcat is a boom. So, you know, and then the next year might be a trade-off because you're thinning out the predators and letting the um, uh, herbivores and, and omnivores kind of flourish with, by taking out the predation. Cool. Um, just a side note here, Patrick uh, uh, is asking, As a this is a Canadian law thing, I'll cover this one. Uh, as a trapper, can you get the wilderness handgun carry permit? It's one of those things you can get from the government, but they don't really give out those permits. Yeah, uh, authorizations to carry in Canada. Um, as a general, as a prospector and or a wildlife protection ATC, after a process, you can get them with, with certain caliber restrictions. As a trapper, I don't think they can actually give one to you, or, or they can, sorry. They can always give you one to you, but they won't. Uh, they'll, they'll expect you to use like a pump action 22 or something like that. That's from my dad's uh, old RCMP buddy that uh, used to trap. Uh, I found that out. But um, anyways, yeah, the, there's there's not much you're going to be able to get as a trapper. Prospector, one thing, but yeah, not, not as a trapper. And then... Um, can, can I... Uh, so they allow prospectors to carry firearms, but not only. Trapping? Only if you're in a heavily, like, uh, a wildlife danger area. Like, so if you're in the middle of grizzly bear country and you can prove that there's a definite danger and you can yeah. prove that, uh, you know, so on and so on, you have to take an ATC, like, a, a basically a, a carry course. Um, then you have to have a, they, they tell you what calibers you can carry. You can only carry, like, a three, three, 44 Magnum six-shooter or you can only carry a 10 millimeter or whatever. They won't let you just carry a nine just for fun, right? Like, they, it's very yeah. restrictive out here compared to the States. Um, That's something to learn. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. So, uh, Jeff is also asking, in a uh, shit at the fan scenario, what would be the best trap for a non-trained person to use? Uh, so, the easiest kind of trap to go with, obviously, uh, if, you, if you're a preparedness medicine person, you know what a snare is. Uh, you can carry a lot of snares. Um, that is a, a numbers to gain kind of thing. So, 100 stairs might get you, you know, one, one animal. Um, the best trap to go for would, and easiest of use would be 
uh, in my opinion, would be a Conabear uh, 101 or 100. I think, I think it's called a Conabear 101. It's a body grip trap, uh, single set spring, really easy uh, to handle. And it's since it's a body grip that if it does lock down on you, it'll hurt, but it won't break anything. You're not going to like, you know, lose a finger or anything like that. So it, it's very user friendly um, to, to go with. And they're kind of more lightweight. I think you could probably in a in a in a regular backpack probably carry three four of those and not really be over encumbered. Yeah, I was thinking of those 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 heavily toothed uh, like spring loaded yeah. traps would be like a leg hold or whatever. Yeah. Like they'd be just a, begging for an injury at that point if you're not used to using <laughs> them or whatever. Honestly, yeah, I found the, I, I I have a pair of uh, live traps here on the property just for like raccoons and stuff, but they're mm-hmm. they're easy to use, but they're easy to set off too, right? So it's you know it's yeah. easy to get like uh, it triggered so. Oh yeah, Sa- safety is very paramount when it comes to being taught how to trap. Um, be, uh, I was taught by a, a good friend of mine that the buddy system is always key. Um, you know, got to think. You know, I'm hiking. You know, six seven miles into the woods with these traps, and I'm digging in in the ground and wet and cold. I set a trap, and it actually locks me. And now all of a sudden, I'm stuck in there. I'm stuck there till I can either get help or get myself out. That's not the scenario I want to be in. So. You know, ha- having somebody there to help you, not to mention help carry the traps is always a good thing, too. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I might have to get Pierre to clarify this question, too, but he's got one that says, uh, in a shit-hit-the-fan scenario, what do you recommend to save or make your harvest last? Uh, can you, like, do you, can you smoke or dehydrate all uh, depending on the stereo? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you uh, uh, if he's talking about the furs, yeah, you can you can tan out in the wild. Um, there's different processes for that. Um, if you're talking about uh, saving the meat, yeah, simple smoker. Um, if you've ever been out hunting or fishing, um, learn how to set up a simple smoker. Uh, you can definitely extend the life of that meat than just letting it sit out. Yeah, definitely. Um. Actually, a sidebar. Have you tried any of the wild meats that you've caught, like a nutria or anything like that? Uh, everything I have caught, I have tried. <laughs> I'm a firm believer, and I don't waste anything. Um, so, uh, I, saying I try it doesn't mean I enjoyed all of it. But yeah, I've uh, <laughs> do wrap it in bacon. <laughs> hey, that's that's kind of <laughs> bacon. Make yeah, so. it tastes good. So, absolutely, that and hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, best animal to trap, out of curiosity, from your opinion, like using a live trap or whatever, just for ease of capture, or maybe like biggest profit margin, or like what, what's your kind of preferred animal for you to chase after? Um, for the abundancy, where I'm at, uh, it's definitely going to be a raccoon. Um, they, they're just they're trash hunters so um you don't have to really work to hide the trap they're used to like digging and digging and all sorts of things unfortunately even you know six seven miles out into the woods um they're still accustomed to being around uh refuge from humans so they they they've had that mindset that they know where all the sweet treats are and then um that's abundancy um if you want to go for profitability, beaver and bobcat uh, here in Washington are pretty much the two highest to go for for profitability. Um, you know, you get a prime class A uh, beaver pelt, you can get, you know, probably anywhere from 20 to 50 bucks for uh, a prime uh, bobcat pelt can go upwards of 100. Oh, wow. Yep. 
Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's again, that's how we started out as a country is beaver fur, beaver pelt hats. Like they used the velvet mm-hmm. on the beaver, I guess. And they, that's how they, there was a big fashion back then. So, yeah, the, the, what I call the Abe Lincoln hat, the big top hats, out, the, the, the underlying felt of the beaver. Actually, yeah. that's what I have. Was. I have one that's uh, that was my great, great, great grandfather's maybe on my, my mom's mom's side. And uh, I think it dates back to about 1837. Yeah, and it's beaver, beaver felt. And it's it's uh, it's quite the spectacle. <laughs> Yeah, that's what <laughs> drove uh, America to, to be, you know, for uh, the westward expansion was driven by uh, Jedediah Smith and, uh, and explorers just trying to learn new trapping lines and, and exploring the country. So, yep. That's awesome. Uh, quick question here from Pierre again. What's the best that you've tried that was surprising how good it was? Uh, beaver tail. <laughs> Be- beaver okay. tail was actually very good which means something very different to Canadians than it does to Americans yeah it's actually it's a, it's a donut up here but uh, or a fancy donut but um, so yeah beaver tail that would be leathery would it not like it would be like kind of like a, a hunk of um, it's it's kind of sinewy. You peel it apart. Obviously, you take the top layers off and stuff like that. And it's 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 very good. Um, I can can it to kind of a uh, really fatty oxtail. <laughs> okay, so there's actually vertebrae in there. Oh yeah. Oh okay, That's, I didn't know that. I, I like ox, I like oxtail. Yeah. Huh. Huh. I had no idea. Um, cool. Uh, is it possible to trap enough to provide for like a family's protein needs for the year, or does that whether it be pushing it a bit? Uh, year-round trapping, you could. Um, I really worry about depleting uh, the the wildlife in in that scenario. Okay. Um, uh, most people know if they hunt and, and fish and stuff like that is their seasons for that. Um, the prime season for trapping uh, is November to March. Um, the colder times uh, when, you know, food is scarce and things like that. If you're trapping in the summertime, you know, uh, you run the risk of, you know, taking a lot of the, the, the yearlings and things like that of any kind of animal. So, you know, definitely spread it out. Don't just try to like, this is all I'm going to do and I'm going to eat meat all year long. And, you know, so it, it, it's possible. Just make sure that you're not going to over deplete your, your territory. Yeah. I kind of wonder about that. That's for sure. So yeah. Family of beavers. Yeah. You take out the, the yearlings and then yeah, next year you got nothing, I suppose. Right. Very much. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, can you kind of run us through a, like a simplified step-by-step process of like um, doing a, like how to preserve a hide for sale? Like how would you just like, you got the animal and take it from there. Like just kind of a, a general Cole's notes. Uh, step one would be uh, stripping and skinning the animal, uh, removing all the fat and sinew from from the hide, uh, letting it dry. Um, you can either let it dry in a, a cool, dark environment or salt it. Uh, it kind of makes it go fast. It takes a lot of salt to, t- to, to salt a hide and make it sure it's, it's all dry. Um, that kind of pretty much for the most part will give you rawhide, um, you know, really stiff, rigid, um, cardboard-like uh, uh, consistency. Uh, after that, if you want to process it more, you'd have to break the hide, roll it, kind of rough it up really good, uh, make it be able to accept a tanning solution. Uh, from tanning solutions, uh, you know, you know, back it back way back, in, um, they used to use barks, uh, brain tanning. Um, you can take any uh, brain matter from the animal and that makes a solution that will tan the hide and give you a really soft leather or you can go purchase uh, tanning solutions from any any uh, hunting supply. I don't know if you guys have Cabela's up there or tractor supply, but... Um, yeah, we've got a lot of... Okay. 
but yeah, they they'll have in their uh, hunting sections tanning tanning solutions and things like that. That's over the counter. Um, but there's there's so many different ways. This t- trapping and hunting has been around for so many years, well before convenience of stores and manufacturing. So. Yeah, it's 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 a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess to back it up with the tanning process. So yeah, like you said bark. So usually, like, is it a cedar or some sort of bark that actually has like tannins, like a high tannin yep. count, and that's what yep. allows you to tan the hide. Yeah, and then uh, uh, western red cedar, um, cypress, things like that. Yeah, you you just kind of pound the pound the outer side. So inside, there's a red kind of reddish layer, and that's yep. what you kind of pulverize and throw that in the water until it really seeps that color into the water and then you can use that for tanning yeah okay and then usually is there enough brains in the animal to t- tan its own hide usually or do you have to kind of like get some external solution like you know eggs and mayo or something or like some sort of high fat content thing uh weird biology uh every animal on the planet carries enough tanning solution in its own brains to tan its own hide there you go <laughs> Kind of all in one package. Yep. It's almost like they did it on purpose. <laughs> yep, right. <laughs> it's amazing. They came ready to go. Yeah, that's right. That, that's, that's very neat to know. It, 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 high, high fat is the thing, right? Like if you want to make it supple and everything else, is that uh, that's kind of the way it goes? What was that? Sorry. So you want to have like some sort of a high fat solution though, right? Like just to, uh, to make yeah. it like soft and supple? Yeah, so the more pliable things like that is, yeah, you want to have a good paste consistency, let it absorb in um, and, and work it that way. So it absorbs that tannin and, and uh, it leaves the, the hide flexible, but has enough uh, chemicals to make it not degrade or rot away. Yeah. Okay. And you said this will take days, like this isn't like an afternoon event, is it? Oh no! Just just the drying process will take days. Even if you use salt and uh, everything known to man to try and dry that hide, it'll take days. Um, once it's dry, it could take uh, depending on how strong and you know uh, you got a team of people working with you to rough up a hide. You know, you like uh, a beaver hide usually takes probably the better part of a week per hide. Yeah, you mentioned breaking it, so rolling it around to kind of like we all we've all played with dog rawhide, right? So I'm assuming that's kind of mm-hmm. like the equivalent when it's rawhide. So yep. to break it up, yeah, I, I would imagine that'd be quite the the process to kind of make that happen. So do you just yep. roll over like a, a round piece of wood, or how does that work? Anything you can find that won't puncture the hide. Yeah, take a stump, roll it over a stump. Take a uh, I take the I'll try to hang it, and I take the backside of my axe uh, where it's kind of rounded. And I'll sit there and just kind of gouge at it and things like that. Yeah. Whatever, whatever it takes. <laughs> cool. Every hide's different, so yep. Um, so yeah, uh, locally where you are is like buckskin or kind of clothing making out of the hide still thing, or is it always just shipped over to China and just be done with it? Um, I don't know a lot of like retail stores that like do that stuff. So if uh, people that are independent, um, definitely I see uh, buy or purchase hides more than retail stores so if you're wanting to go retail you definitely be going to a fur buyer to send to an auction um, if you know people that do crafts and and different things like that they are definitely probably the biggest consumers of uh, hides and furs that i know of cool um, you mentioned stairs before there um you got a fair amount of experience just using like setting up a bunch of little snares for rabbits and squirrels and stuff like uh 
you know, everybody talks about having snare wire in their in their bug out bag mm-hmm. or survival kit or whatever, but like I mean, nobody knows what to do with it for the most part. So, like, and like if you if you said like a hundred snares, like I mean, obviously a one roll of snare wire is not going to do it. So, like, would you recommend it for survival kits in reality, or is it this more of a practice bushcraft thing? Um, definitely more of a bushcraft. Uh, as far as survivability, uh, if you don't know really what you're doing, don't try it till you learn it. Um, the the big thing uh, snares versus traps traps you're attracting the animal because you're using baits and you're setting in an area where you know that they kind of populate so it's not hard to get them to come to the trap um snares is it's a target of opportunity you're finding an area where you think the animal's going to be and you're literally trying to trap them on their way to or from something so they could have been there a week ago they could have been there three days ago running from something and they ain't coming back um, but you see the sign, so you're going to set one. Um, generally, when, whenever I talk to anybody about doing snares and stuff like that, I say it's 101. Uh, for every 100 snares you set, you might get one animal. So um, e- even in, like, my kit, things like that, I don't carry snare wire, um, things like that. Um, here it's not something that I feel is going to be a calorie burn to calorie gain offset if that makes sense no absolutely it does make sense because i that's one of those things again where we talks about it but nobody knows what to do with it so mm-hmm. that's uh that's awesome yeah yeah setting traps and and things like that is is a lot of hard work so yeah i mean you look at the manuals you can see where they have like you know try and divert little game game trails and try and mm-hmm. you know like funnel them into a certain area and have a snare there or like a, on the tree side and everything else but yeah like that's that doesn't seem like a, a high win situation no. <laughs> so Brad says that yeah, the odds are not in my favor. Well, no, I would say if you're down to the point where you, you're post plane crash and you're trying to figure out snare wire uh, <laughs> to feed yourself, hey, you're probably yeah. out of luck. Yeah, do it. Do what you got to do. I mean, you know, if, yeah. if you're in an area and you can can set it and you know not not travel a far distance for it, hey, I mean, you know, er- everybody gets lucky once, right? So, um, yeah, cool. So other than that, uh, Alan, you got anything else? Um, no, I, I can't, I can't think of anything. I was going to make a joke about, uh, using urine to stand the hide as go back, go way back to the medieval times when, uh, people sold their, sold their urine for that. But, uh, we covered, we covered that pretty well. So I've, I've got nothing else. I have no more sarcastic comments left. I gotta stick with bark soup on that one versus urine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I didn't want to mention that as far as that on the <laughs> show. So. Oh, oh, hey, you know what? We've had worse than that. That's, that's we, not. We, I think you overestimate the class of the audience here. <laughs> yeah. uh, so actually, is that is that a thing? Because I mean, okay, so ammonia content—it's it's sterile coming out. Like, what is the benefit of using urine versus like just uh, just availability? Um, I guess, or is it? So with brain tanning and uh, urine, so with that, what you do is you'd actually be removing all the fur from the whole hide completely and giving yourself a like a leather afterwards instead of having a fur side and, and a hide side. So uh, you'd put that all in a solution and just soak it in a bucket. And then when it com- when you bring it out, it, it, it opens up the pores enough to where the hair literally will like fall off. And all you oh, have to so- do is just kind of pull it. So you're, you're producing leather versus a hide. Okay, and so what is the difference between leather and buckskin then? Just out of curiosity, is just quality of finish, or is this like? Uh yeah, yeah. So leather is more worked and more pliable. Buckskin and and raw is more is is a little bit more refined rawhide for the most part. Uh, with with uh, a deer element in it, so. Hmm. 
There you go. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> Scott says, how much oil is in your urine? Well, You're the paramedic, Scott. You tell us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, VT, just asked a quick question here. Uh, do you use mm-hmm. a GPS to find the sets of the traps or the sites of the traps, maybe? Or just I'm know where they school. are? Um, I'm old school. I carry uh, what I call green trail maps. Um, I don't know if you guys have those. Um, it's a probably a 10 by 18 old school map that used to show a lot of hiking trails. It's a topo map. Um, yep. I, I grew up using those. Um, GPSs are great. Um, I've had a few instances where they failed me miserably on hunting trips. So I'll use it if if I have it, but I will always back up everything I do on an actual physical map. So yeah, that's right. I, ca- yeah, I kind of use both. Yeah, yeah, we have topo maps here as well, so same idea. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, well, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, user or last minute listener questions at all? Anybody? I think we covered off pretty much everything. Um, well, oh, cool. do you have a fa- do you have a favorite wild meat by any chance? Oh, as far as trap meat, um, yeah. Hmm. There's been a bunch. <laughs> um, porcupine. Uh, <laughs> porcupine's good. I actually never trapped a porcupine. That was that was uh, shot by a friend of mine. So, but I have had porcupine before. Um, they're pretty good. Um, favorite, like most unique, probably like a rattlesnake, <laughs> which is not trapped. That was that was found again. But uh, wild meat, yeah, definitely definitely rattlesnake out in the wilderness was a uh, was an experience. <laughs> so. I guess with rattlesnake, it would just be like one giant long rib cage, or how does that work? Like, oh yeah, it's basically um, like a, a bucket between like a fish and a chicken, but like the overcooked chicken on the bone. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean that makes <laughs> like, sense. Like like all the ribs on a, on a chicken. Yeah, huh. we're trying <laughs> to get the meat off there. So <laughs> cool. Uh, well, I guess uh, might as well move on to the podcast challenge. And uh, Alan, you want to cover that one off? Sure. Um, although we've just discussed how bad an idea it is to rely on this, practice building a field expedient snare or a spring trap, and and uh, don't necessarily catch game if you're not licensed for it. But um, give it a try, see if you can do it, and then practice doing it lots. Because apparently, if you need to do it, you might as well do. Uh, put the odds in your favor and do a lot of it, which will also teach you how much you actually need. In order to build the hundred to one uh, ratio and get some uh, get some actual food in your belly, should the need arise. Of course, we did this podcast challenge before we listened to uh, Jason tell his tale. So I would actually even add to that, but maybe buy a small live trap and just see if you can catch your raccoons or your squirrels nearby, and you know, see how easy it is or how hard it is. Um, I tell people to please check your local legislation before you do that. (laughs) What's that, uh, Jason? Um, The the, probably the best easiest trap to carry would be just a, a large rat trap. Yeah, I mean, like, for us, it's like if we have a problem raccoon, you can catch it um, and toss it away somewhere else. Like, just take it out and go or whatever, but or whatever you want to do with it. I'm not going to tell you what to do. (laughs) Um, Upcoming events. (laughs) I I don't want to hang myself here. So, Um, upcoming events. So, Maple Seed events uh, done with the, I guess, Ontario's reopening as well now. So, Alberta and BC are kind of reopened. you know, but same thing as your apple seed down in the states, Jason. We have a maple don't seed up it. here. Okay. Yeah, don't jinx it. So, uh, yeah, if you want to know some basic uh, shooting skills or whatever, uh, go to mapleseedrifleman.com slash events, and maybe there's a maple seed event uh, near you. So give it a try, and maybe uh, yeah, that's definitely worth your time for sure. 
Other than that, I uh, was too lazy to find a deal of the week this week, so I didn't find anything uh, worthwhile that time. And then uh, time for shouts. Work, works, works four hours for the first time in a month, and can't can't manage to get anything else done. What a guy! Uh, <laughs> I'll shout the best cousins in the world. They are apparently listening to me to us tonight. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you again soon. It's uh, it's only six hours, but it's a long six hours. So, um, thanks for coming down, and we'll see you again. Cool. Um, I got a quick shout out here for uh, Cody from Discord uh, to, for the help with the electrical bits. So, uh, you know, typical, uh, I guess, behind the scenes uh, contact between listeners and stuff. It's fantastic. Uh, if we need something, somebody else can usually help us out. So it's a great thing. Um, as a reminder, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Dr. Elton's Survival Medicine Handbook probably towards the end of August by the time we get around to doing a book club again. But uh, if you want to take a look at uh, Dr. Joe Walton's uh, Survival Medicine Handbook, it is uh, certainly worth the while. Um, I did put a link in the Especially show. Notes. required reading for anyone that calls themselves a prepper. That's right. It is good. It's very handy. Uh, I did put a link in the show notes for a survival PDF collection. Um, I think I mentioned it once before, but it's one of those things where it's got like a, a dump mm-hmm. of free, free books available online. And just, I don't think I put it in the show notes before. So I just got it in there as well. Um, and that's pretty much it. So email and iTunes reviews. Uh, we got a, an email from listener Marcus in Sweden, which was really, really interesting. So uh, last week on the show, uh, Jeff was mentioning that there was a uh, there was a cyber attack that shut down a lot of Sweden's retail. Uh, and so Marcus says, hi, listen to your podcast as always on Monday morning here in Sweden. I think yours are one are the, one of the best ones with a nice portion of humor, sometimes dark, but that suits me, mixed in with relevant content. You're welcome for that, Marcus. It is unclear today around 8 a.m. how many of the around 800 stores affected will be able to open today. An interesting thing is that some smaller stores in the same chain have been able to keep open since they have, since they seem to have opted out of the big centralized solution. The incident has also prompted the defense minister to comment that business and state agencies need to raise their readiness to prevent and counter future attacks. In the pamphlet, if crisis or war comes that is sent out to all Swedish households, a cyber attack is at the top of the list of actions the country can expect to be hit by in a conflict situation. I think this pamphlet is quite unique as it's sent to all households with information on what to expect uh, of what everyone is expected to manage in a crisis or war. During the Cold War, this information was printed in all the phone books as well. In the 90s, it was discontinued, but a couple years ago, it was sent out again to all households as the tensions with mainly Russia was escalating. At the time, all bomb shelters around the country were checked and ordered to be ready to be used within 24 hours notice. Two things resulted in the many outcries of causing fear. If you're not prepared, you should be worried, was the short reply. One was that the media went bonkers over the lack of space in the bomb shelters, would not hold all 10 million people. The reply to that was that is also in the pamphlet is that Sweden utilizes something called total defense, meaning that all citizens between the ages of 16 and 70 will be called for either military or civil defense service. So most of us will be in the service when and then the space in the civilian bomb shelters will be quite sufficient. This was a needed wake up call to many. This has been quite a long reply. Thanks again for a great podcast. I'll add a link to the pamphlet below if you want to check it out. Stay safe from Marcus in the south of Sweden. So, Marcus, thank you so much for for, for that. There's nothing better than firsthand information. Um, and this uh, um, this pamphlet is also super cool. Um, I'll be the first one to admit that my Swedish is less than great. But uh, um, this particular version is, um, is anglicized. 
and it is fantastic. Um, it's a great little, uh, great little thing. So everyone who's listening, give out, give a, um, give a look to this. It's uh, what eleven pages. It looks like um, it's in the show notes, which will be posted below or available on all of the sites when we finally get this uh, published. And that's very cool. Um, and thank you again for for giving us all the uh, all the information that uh, that you did because it's great to see. Uh, it's one thing to see what happens when the media reports on it, and it's quite another to see what happens when people who are actually experiencing it tell us what's going on. So um, that was uh, that was Marcus's email. Well, that was awesome. So that was regarding the Kaseya uh, denial of service attack, basically with the the ransomware. So I guess if you don't have a, I guess uh, just in time delivery system, I guess some of the smaller stores did better than if they were hooked up into the the Borg of the the centralized system. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So interesting too. Like the government, instead of saying you know like, uh, uh, well, they are providing for their, their citizens if they got that many bomb shelters. Wow. But also the fact is they're also telling the citizens to wipe their own behind, which was a nice to see, actually. They're not saying, like, you know, if you're not prepared, you should be worried. I'm like, wow, that's that's a bold step for, for a government nowadays. Absolutely. That was pretty awesome, actually. I guess just like Switzerland, they're like, a, you know, what they call it, armed neutrality. So good for them. Yep. But they're obviously aware of what the deal is as a government. That seems pretty switched on that they say, well, you yeah, have ransomware attacks and then and cyber attacks are a thing and probably the first thing used. I mean, good for them. That, that That's actually... Admirable government. I don't know how it's. It's fantastic. Well, did um, I say that? <laughs> I, they, they, even a broken clock is right twice a day, and this particular pamphlet, it's it's pretty high level, but it it's it has some great information. So it's, um, it is it is excellent to see that the, um, this looks like it was published by the Swedish Civil Contingencies Agency, and they're they're mm-hmm. encouraging everyone to be prepared to be on their own. Um, so much like uh, Emergency Preparedness Canada says, help is coming, but it'll take a few days. Um, Sweden's de- um, Sweden's uh, uh, system is saying, we're going to need you to uh, to show up here. So you'll either be conscripted into the armed forces. Uh, they call it civil conscription, so into organizations controlled by the government that are non-military. And then there's a, uh, a third grouping called General National Service, which is um, helping out with organizations. Uh, sorry, I'm just reading from the pamphlet here. Uh, reading uh, organizations involved... Um, Organizations that must that must function even in the event of a threat of war and war. This means that you continue to do your normal job, work in a voluntary organization, or that you are tasked by. I'm not going to try and pronounce that. Um, I'm guessing that's some kind of uh, of government uh, um, government cabinet. Uh, Arbst Arbist Fulmelgildil and again, my Swedish <laughs> is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> with performing the work, uh, with performing work that is of particular importance to Sweden's total defense, um, so they're they're not they're they're in no way saying the government is going to come take care of you. They're very much saying you are part of the solution. Um, and then there's a little checklist of home preparedness advice. And um, I love that this uh, this particular page says if Sweden is attacked, resistance is required. And that makes me so happy to see. I love yeah. seeing that on a government plant on a government pamphlet. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna read this a little bit more thoroughly, and maybe we can break this down on another uh, another uh, on another episode because uh, I think this this particular this like this this pamphlet is worth a is worth a much a much deeper dive. So um, again, Marcus, thank you so much for uh, for for giving that to us because that's uh, that's fantastic. Cool. Uh, before I move on to my email here, uh, got one. 
last minute question here from Philip says, uh, Jason, what do you carry for first aid gear? Oh, uh, a lot. <laughs> um, I carry, I do have my own, uh, IFAC. Um, I carry tourniquets, uh, uh, blood clot, uh, Israeli bandage and a fully stocked, uh, uh, first aid kit on top of just those few things. And there's many others that I carry on top of that. Yes. Uh, first, first aid is key. So like I said, I'm out there, I'm cold, I'm wet. Um, my hands are slippery. I, I am swinging an ax I'm digging and I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with heavy, heavy things with door, uh, uh, swinging parts to it. So yeah, I, I run the risk of getting harmed very quickly if I, if I'm not careful. So. Actually just a couple of follow-up questions to that then. Uh, do you always, do you like, do you go by yourself often or do you usually have somebody with you as a kind of a, of a buddy system uh, I, I firmly believe in using the buddy system. Uh, it's me and my son and my nephew that are, are licensed uh, together. Um, and we kind of always try to work our trap lines together in a season. So I, okay. I try to have at least two or three of us at all, uh, working our lines together at all times. So assuming you're at a cell phone range, then uh, do you have a backup comm system at all on that one then? Uh, I do not. I've looked at different things uh, like the EPIRP system that we have here, which would be like a pager that I can send out a, a beacon. Basically, if you hit the button, the Alcalvary comes. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it's not financially viable for me at this very moment, but uh, it's something I've very much looked into. Hmm. That's awesome. All right, cool. Um, see here, I have a email and iTunes review from Carmen. Um, says if you guys ever need somebody for a pressure canning uh, meat episode and to go into depth on it, give me a call. Uh, you were right on most of this, but there's a lot more you can do. So that's going back to our uh, original uh, canning episode, which is actually our highest downloaded episode of all all the entire series. Um, so I contacted Carmen, and she's willing to come on and give us a lowdown next month on uh, actual pressure canning meat and go into like a deep dive on it. So looking forward to that. So yeah, we're hoping to hear soon from her. Um, she should be here, I think, middle of the month next month. So, thank you very much, Cameron, for reaching out. Nice. Look forward to hearing. Fantastic. That one. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's pretty much it, guys. With that, I'm going to bring episode 123 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out and submit a review. It helps other people find us. We do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube for now. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click the notifications tab. That will give you an alert when we're going live. You can find me at Alan, that's with one L, at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, just say hi to my wife, Jennifer, uh, Sean, Xander, Lily, and Kira are my children. Hi, awesome. guys. Uh, if you have any uh, last-minute uh, uh, trapping questions, uh, for sure, just send some uh, feedback to the show here, and we'll make sure we get supported mm -hmm. on to Jason, and we can uh, certainly get a, a response from that for you guys as well. Uh, if you guys want to reach out to uh, Ian directly, you can email me at theislandretreat at gmail.com, and on Gab and Odyssey at The Island Retreat. Um, you can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast every week on iTunes and YouTube and the Discord group, Canadian Patriot Podcast, of course. Uh, email us if you want an invite to the uh, Discord group. There you can find us discussing why government waste in society has been bidding on trap lines. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, until next time, you can be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. And have fun out there.